0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fifth season, we are looking at Joe Johnston's 2011 film, Captain America, The First Avenger. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. I'm Pete Wright, and today, a lesson on password security. Today, we are talking about Minute 32, which begins with a brief stop in an antique shop and ends with everyone stopping what they're doing as Steve gets his first look at the Rebirth Lab. Joining us on the show again, it's Matthew Costello, professor of political science at St. Xavier University in Chicago, and author of Secret Identity Crisis, Comic Books, and the Unmasking of Cold War America. Welcome back, Matthew. Thank you. Glad to be here. Uh, antique shops. Uh, <laughs> antique shops and rebirth labs. Mm, 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 it's a minute full of all <laughs> sorts of fun stuff.
1: I grew up in a little <laughs> tiny town in Hallow, called Hollowell, Maine, on the banks of the Kennebec River. And... Downtown was nothing but antique shops. And I'm now I'm wondering what's underneath those stores? Yeah. What was underneath it? Sprawling.
0: <laughs> uh, let's let's talk a little bit about uh the way that this is set up in the comic books, uh to start. Um we, well and did you go back and read all the Captain America comics? Were you reading Captain America when you were reading comics?
1: Oh yes. Oh yeah. Okay, okay. Um i I'm I
0: don't think I've read all the Golden Age ones, but I've read a bunch of them, particularly through like the first 40 or so. I find it very interesting that the first Captain America comic really kind of starts in the lab. and We kind of just like yeah. we're pretty much jumping right in as these people arrive at this antique shop. It's a curio shop in the in the comics, but they have pretty much this exact setup. And so anyone who is familiar with the comics probably recognized um, the kind of the way that this is set up. How does this work for the two of you?
1: I actually thought it, uh, it works really well. Um, in the comic, of course, the old lady is, right, the, the young spy in a mask. I really don't think there's any way they could have had that work without looking cheesy. Um, and we needed to have the Peggy set up there as well. Um, the comic book didn't give us any backstory on Steve, right? We don't really get any backstory on Steve in Brooklyn until the 1980s in a lot of ways. Um, and so we need that. I mean, that's that's what gives us that context that tells us who he is, that that pairs him with Peggy, that, that twins him with the Red Skull, that gives us that whole message the film is supposed to have about, right, humble democracy defeating the hubris of authoritarianism. Right. Um, and so it works very, very well. I think it works really well. I, yeah, I
2: think it does, too. I don't I don't think they could have started this movie like they did the comic and actually have it mean <laughs> anything to us. Um, and and I love like the. Uh, you know, bef- before we started, Matthew called this the Get Smart Minute. I I love the mechanics of getting into the secret lab. And uh, <laughs> uh, I love and sort of resent them because, you know, now uh, one of my great dreams is to have a secret door behind the library. And I did a little <laughs> research on this. And it turns out you can actually get like there are companies that now like mass market secret doors that you can install in your house. Once they're like manufacturing these on a line, it kind of takes all the all the spark out of it. Why why do I want that? Everybody can have it. It's not special anymore. So I I like the history of this because it still feels special at this point. It doesn't feel
1: mass market.
2: (laughs) The (laughs) secrets, secrets well kept.
1: Uh, And the move from the antique shop into the lab, right, that, that, goes through these two curtis several doors you've got to pass through which is what makes it look like a get smart moment but what you're moving from is the past to the future right antiques are the past and the lab is this futuristic vision from the 1940s and so you go down into this labyrinth i mean it's almost it's almost like joseph campbell right you got to go through the dark cave to get your power so that you can come redeem humanity this is where he becomes a hero um Oh, well, he already kind of was a hero, but but this is where he gets yeah. the the power that allows him to be the the redeeming hero. Exactly. Um, but right he moves right. from the past to the future in this series, this minute, and it's it's very
0: well structured it's yeah it's a great minute uh just the context of all that is great i want to jump back real quick and just chat a little bit more um at the at, at the front specifically in the antique store uh as you already mentioned we do meet our antique store owner she's played by amanda walker uh amanda walker is scottish and actually every time i hear her speak i'm like i know i can hear an accent in there i know i can hear it there's something subtle in there and that's because she is uh scottish um I'm not going to try doing the IMDb game with you t- with you two because, uh, you know, I, I'm not how sure how familiar you are with Amanda Walker and her career. But she's, uh, you know, been in uh, she has 90 TV credits, not as many movie credits, only 18, but uh, still a good number. And the four uh, projects that IMDb says she's known for are 28 weeks later.
2: Well, you got to let me try at least because oh. I think I have her. I, she's in one of my favorite movies uh, which is A Room with a View. Okay. Is that one of the top four? That please? is one of the
0: top four, yes. All right. She Good. plays the cocky signora in A Room with a View, the cockney, cockney. signora. <laughs> Not cockney cocky. Senora. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she was Sally in 28 Weeks Later, which makes me want to rewatch that one. She's Veronica in Cloud Atlas. I think she's one of the people in the, uh, the old folks' home when they yeah. staged the escape. And she's the country club tennis lady in Wimbledon. So. Uh, definitely well, somebody i who's not kept I didn't busy see that one yeah i didn 't see Wimbledon, um, but certainly somebody who has kept herself busy over the years now i want uh you had mentioned Matthew uh, in the comics that she was an agent, and she pulls off her face and she's she 's as it says in the comics quote an astoundingly beautiful woman um, she is agent x thirteen in the comics that 's what uh she is named as uh one of their most trusted agents and i yeah it 's a fun little bit I like that they kind of pull that. Um, and I like that. Yeah, it would have been awkward if we had a Mission Impossible moment with her pulling her, pulling her face off to reveal somebody else. But yeah. uh, I do we, like that at least, they, at least they gave her to us.
1: Okay. The, the, the fanboy in me, this just came to me and I have no idea if, if this matters, if anybody thought about this. All right. Peggy Carter is not really created until the 1970s, right? Yeah. So this is X-13. Later, Captain America will have a, a female agent named Betty Ross that he hangs out with. Um, But Captain America will, in a Tales of Suspense story in the late 60s, fall in love with Agent 13, not X-13, but Agent 13, who bears a striking resemblance to the woman he loved in World War II. Turns out that Agent 13 is Sharon Carter, who, of course, is the niece of Peggy Carter, who will be emerging, I think, in Captain America and the Falcon one sixty three in like 1974 or so 73 or so does the x13 agent 13 I and mean, is it all tied together did, did they put all that together and think about it that sophisticatedly no but you know wouldn't it be nice
0: uh, yeah but, but you know what I, I i i am sure that in the background they are playing around with that in some capacity you know they're like it's probably, you know, the world of comics, it's like the group of people at the time putting all this stuff together. And so, you know, 20 years later, that group is putting these things together. And then 20 years after that, the, that group is saying, well, what can we pull? And so I like how there's kind of this constant thread of these things being connected, even if it always feels a little messy to me. But it is kind of fun. I love that. Um, we... we uh, just talking about their, their code that they have here. I just have to read this because it's actually scripted even longer, which makes me love it all the more, even though I can totally understand why they said, you know, do we really need them to keep going? They already kind of <laughs> – we already get the joke that, you know, the whole wonderful weather this morning, isn't it? Yes, but I always carry an umbrella. That whole gag. Here's the, the way that the script goes. Then the antique store owner says, I suppose you can't be too careful – Agent Carter, best to be prepared for a shift in the wind. Uh, and then the antique store owner, looking for anything in particular. Agent Carter, a dozen eggs and your finest selection of cheese. Antique <laughs> store owner, I'm afraid you'd better try the nearest farm. Peggy Carter, I buy my milk at the store. <laughs> wow, that which was like boy, an the intense... Nazis have
2: already won the war. <laughs> yes, the Nazis just won.
0: <laughs> like, can you imagine trying to remember all that? It's like, oh wait, was this is this where I talk about the cheese or? <laughs> it's so natural so natural (laughs) oh it that made me laugh when i was reading that i'm like god this would have been i mean it would have been the spoof version of this right i mean that's the sort of thing you would have had in uh like a will ferrell yeah right exactly and get (laughs) smart
2: it
0: (laughs) It would have just kept going on that's a riot uh so funny so funny uh And before we go downstairs uh, or into the secret hallway, we do also get a reveal. Uh, and I like that we're kind of getting the sense. This seems like a nice little antique shop, but they're all of a sudden speaking in code. And we also reveal a secret button and a machine gun. Yes. Pete, did you want to talk about this gun?
2: Well, I, I feel like, uh, you know. It allows us to talk about our very favorite website, the internet movie firearms database <laughs> uh which which does tell us that this gun underneath the uh under that's mounted underneath the desk uh is the m nineteen twenty one Thompson machine gun uh, uh, Tommy uh, gun. It was yeah it's a tommy gun uh this was a, this was the gangster gun during the prohibition um uh, the the gun that made the twenties roar. Uh, apparently, this is a media myth. The gun was far too expensive for an average thug. It was $200 with a single 20 round magazine equivalent to about 2800 in today's dollars. Uh, it, it, it says it's heavy and hard to conceal, but I don't know. Our secret agent, old lady, has concealed it <laughs> just fine.
0: Well, maybe uh, maybe under your coat. It's a little harder to... Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. You need much more of a harness or a truss. Uh, so, um, John Dillinger, uh, George Machine Gun Kelly, Al Capone, all uh, famed lovers of the Tommy Gun. Uh, it was originally only intended for military and police use and only was marketed as the gun that safeguards the innocent and providing a level of firepower that would send cowardly criminals running for cover. Considering that a fully automatic weapon with a good amount of recoil isn't exactly the safest way to ensure no innocent bystanders are hurt, it didn't take off uh, in this role and hit the civilian market. Whew. Uh, so, uh, that's the Tommy gun, M1921 Thompson submachine gun, uh, and uh, we we get to see a little bit of that
0: coming soon. Well, and I'd like to say, it's not a mantelpiece. <laughs> But <laughs> do you think we'll be talking right. about this at there another is, point? There <laughs> so, is a gun.
2: Yeah. Chekhov's gun under the counter. Yeah. <laughs> is that what they call that?
0: Oh, we have mysterious people standing outside. There's a gun under the counter. Yeah, I feel like I feel like things are afoot. I feel like things are afoot here. Um but yes, now we go through this secret door into this hallway, and you know, I feel like there was this period, and I don't know when it started or ended, but medical like the world of medical and science and stuff had kind of this greenish look to it do you both know what i'm talking about kind of like everything is kind of like a like that kind of sick green feel which seems so weird for medical but
2: yeah no it's that's the i i still get that feeling when i go into a hospital like even though they've changed i still get a little bit sickly green
0: it's yeah it still is a thing it's such a weird color choice but i i like that they took that and really went with it here. Now, my question for both of you is how much of this block do you feel like uh, the SSR actually bought to buy to build all of this? Because, I mean, I know we're going to be going downstairs. And so a lot of it can be kind of sub level as far as what they're building here. But um, when they opened the secret bookcase in the back of the antique shop, it reveals a hallway i mean it's not incredibly long but it goes a little ways and there are, are some double doors at the end so i mean i feel like i don't know i feel like it they they must have a big chunk of the block uh, did they, either of you two have any uh give any thought to this or is this just me
2: i don't think it's just you i think it's actually really interesting because it it goes to the uh dynamics or or i think the the dynamic of secret government infrastructure, right, that this thing is hiding in plain sight, right, that it's it's everybody kind of goes along with it, that we have accepted that there is this secret thing that exists, we don't know anything about it. And it is massive underneath like this is this is the iceberg, right, we're looking at the iceberg, and we literally get to go the iceberg antique shop, we get to go underneath and see just a start of the infrastructure that we we have wrought.
1: I think part of this also is is sort of the post '60s comic books looking back, right? Um, you may remember that that in the old Agents of Shield comic book, right, they would get into a a barber chair in Manhattan and they would end up going down a barber pole or a pole kind of thing, <laughs> a bat pole, yeah, and end up in this huge underground complex under Manhattan that was was the headquarters of Shield, right? Sprawling, sprawling, right. And yeah. so here, what we've never, we, the comic books never gave us the sense that this complex was so huge in Brooklyn, but we get that huge complex here. And it is this idea that underneath the surface, right, there's this whole other world going on out there taking care of things for us. That's 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 um, the government that's that's beneath us, right? And, yeah. I think, and so, yeah, I, I think they've got the whole block. I, the whole block, I think they got all of Brooklyn, for God's sake,
0: right? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's all there. Well, and uh, so we'll talk about this also in the next minute, because there's a line in the next minute kind of specifically talking about why we're here. But at this point, do either of you question as you're watching the movie, why aren't they just like in an army base? Like, why did we go from the from Camp Lehigh? Like, why weren't they just doing it there? Why are we in Brooklyn now to do this thing? Did that did I, that cross out of your heads or did the whole idea of it being a secret base in an antique shop like make sense?
2: Yeah, I think we needed a set change. I think we needed the ride. I think I think there is something to this idea that we've have everything public is the audition. And once they decide on the guy, I, I get this sense that that the lab had already been working on something in secret. And then they realized, oh, we got to put it in a person. Let's build the infrastructure. We're already underground. Let's bring the guy to us rather than us going to the guy. I, I, I feel like they, this was it was authentically hidden. Right. I bought it. I never it never took me out of the movie.
1: I agree it doesn't take me out of the movie and i I think it it actually enhances this 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 sort of message of the film right right um if they were under a military if they were under the army base right it would be it wouldn't be a democratic action it would be a military action so it's got to be under people it's got to be under civilization somewhere um and going from the antique shop to the lab gives us that that movement from past to future It, it cements the whole thing together. It, it works in terms of the message of the film. Does it make sense? Realistically, shouldn't it be right? Cause we already know they got a big thing under camp Lehigh. We find that out in the winter soldier. Right. Um, right. But you know, why didn't they do it there? That's where he was before. Uh, <laughs> exactly. okay. um But no, it's gotta be, it's gotta be somewhere that's, that's civilian. It's got to be within the civilian world in order to make it work.
2: You know, there's also just even within the narrative of this film, there's also the the desire to maintain the distance between the colonel and what's going on at Lehigh and the the secret, you know, research so that we can maintain their distance later when it counts on the battlefield. Right. Like we have to if 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 he'd adopted everything into Camp Lehigh, it would be his to own. And it's not his to own. Right. That's yeah, a partnership. We've, we've learned right. that already. he yeah, it's a, it's a partnership, and he doesn't like the direction. So It
1: also maintains the balance with the Red Skull, right? The Red Skull and Hydra versus the SRA and the military, right? So the SRA is separate from the military. It's separate from, from uh, the war effort. It's a the private section of the war effort, like Hydra is a private section of the Wehrmacht, right? So it, it maintains the balance that way as well.
0: That's actually a, a, an interesting thing to bring up also. I hadn't really thought about it, about it before. But so far, every time we're seeing Hydra's secret bases, they're always incredibly isolated, alone, cold, barren, like middle of nowhere. And when we do come finally at this point to SSR's secret base, it is, as you've already said, it's in the middle of the city. It's it's where the people are. It is at like really kind of like the heart of— our civilization, or you know, in the New York area, at and least so the Knights would view it. Yes, yeah, exactly. right, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's the heart of America. Uh, yeah. But I mean, to that end, it's really like it. It does already feel so much more connected to humanity as opposed to what we have set up with Hydra. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, it's good. I really like it. We're at this point. We we get to the end of this minute. Uh, Steve and Peggy walk in fantastic reveal like the way uh, you already talked about this matthew but just the way that we get the reveals of them walking through the long hallway the doors are opened by these mps and they step out on this catwalk and, and look over at the the rebirth lab and we have all of this machinery people milling about everywhere very few of them credited so i can't really talk about many of them um and then uh, everybody stops and stares as, as steve looks at them and that's kind of the end of the minute um it's great it's a fantastic setup for what is to come
1: Yeah. And we get Steve's reaction shot. I mean, that, that camera set so that what we watch is the door open and Steve and Peggy walk through and Steve walks into the shot. Yeah. And then we get his face and then we do the reverse shot of everyone looking up at him. Um, but it's really his face that that sort of, whoa, what the hell is all this? Yeah. All this.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah, I love that shot, too, because it's a crane shot, right? The crane is coming up from the floor below and we get to we get to meet them on that angle. It's like the future is coming up to meet him, you know, and that that sort of visual metaphor for his experience works really well for me.
0: How do you uh, how do you feel that the CG work to kind of create this this puny Steve works, Matthew?
1: I think it works well, I, I you know, it's. um and strangely enough, it seems to hold up, which means, which suggests it works even better. I mean, if you watch like Forrest Gump today mm-hmm. and all that stuff with the voices that they did, it doesn't work. It just, it looks
0: fake, right? You mean like, you mean the, like talking to the presidents and stuff? Right, that
1: sort of thing. Here, right, it still works. I mean, maybe we're just not far enough away from it. We haven't developed more, but the body double, the connection of the head to the, the body double, it just, it's, it's almost seamless. It works very well. Um, it's, it's, there are only a couple of moments when it seems a little cheesy, um, but they're rare and they're passing. And they, I, I, I'm actually, I was very impressed with this still. And watching it again, I was still impressed with it.
2: At just how little you think about it. Right? Yes. For me, I just, I constantly marvel at oh, right. That's not a real whole guy.
0: Yeah. It yeah, looks like yeah. a
2: real whole guy.
0: Yeah, there are there are moments here and there. Like there were some in the car uh, right before this, where it's you know, there's always just like a little bit like it it pull it, it. I I stop buying it for a second, but then as soon as they cut back, suddenly it's working again. And so it's it yeah, all, I'd say ninety five percent of the time, I'm right there with it. It's great.
1: The worst part for me was the the fight in the alley, right where he's you know, um, it's just that was just there was just something a little off on that one. But most of the rest of it worked fine for me.
2: You think that was? You think that's because it's so early in the film? Like we're all, we've only just met him, and at that point, I'm still thinking pretty hard about the fact that they've done something wondrous with light and pixels to make that happen.
0: Yeah, that maybe I,
2: I might. It might be so early. I'm a little judgy.
0: Yeah, maybe that could be it. Yeah, it is possible. Uh, well, I don't think I have anything else for this minute. Do either of you have any last things? Should we uh, wrap up for the day, and we can come back tomorrow?
2: Let's wrap it up. Let's, um, let's get it. into it. All right. Get some injections going.
0: Matthew, remind everyone again uh, where they can uh, read some of your works and find more out f- about uh, what you're working on.
1: My book from 2009, Secret Identity Crisis The Unmasking of Cold War America, Comic Books the Unmasking of Cold War America, is available from Amazon. Um, I've got a recent article out on Werewolf by Night, of all things, and a book called Gothic Mashups. If you've never read Werewolf by Night from the 1970s, mike Klug art gorgeous book loved it um right man by day werewolf by night uh so that's that some recent stuff i got an article out recently in the journal of american culture on uh um, pat garrett and billy the kid oh huh. uh, and pep film so outstanding you can probably find those as your favorite database somewhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you certainly are covering the gamut. You've got the the Marvel, the superheroes, you've got the the horror comics, you've got the westerns, all over the place. It's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I, was, I, was, uh, I was an administrator for several years and got nothing published. And then I stopped being an administrator and I had all this stuff pat, pat, pent up and suddenly, poof, all kinds of stuff came out of me.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's good you got to flush it out every yeah, it's years. Years. just get rid
2: of it you don't want it to build
0: up uh well everybody check out uh, Matthew's works uh, lots of great stuff to dig into and uh, we'll be back tomorrow for minute 33 until next time true believers
2: I buy my milk at the
1: store
0: I need some cheese.
2: marvel movie minute is a production of true story fm engineering by andy nelson this season's music is spread the news by anthony vega and this season's show art is by winston yabo find the show at TrueStory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews consider doing that for this show